Welcome to Reverb Roundtable, a weekly show that brings the brightest creative minds and digital producers in sports, entertainment, politics, news, and more to share their stories and strategies that will help you become a better leader and creator. This podcast is hosted by Clark Campbell, the founder and CEO of Reverb Agency, an event media production company where the goal is always to make great events look great online. Have you ever been watching the news and wondered how in the world do they get this information out so fast? Well, in this episode, you are going to find out. Today, we are being joined by Betsy Klein, a producer and reporter covering the White House for CNN. She gives us an inside look at what it takes to get a newsworthy moment from happening to a notification on your phone, as well as the importance that clarity and context plays in these challenging times. Our team is influenced heavily by the journalism world, so this conversation was absolutely fascinating, and we think you are going to love it. So let's go ahead and jump into this week's episode. Here's your host, Clark Campbell. Let's jump in. Betsy Klein, thank you. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Um, We are, both of us are honored. I might watch the news a little bit more than Will, but I know Tessa, our producer, loves the news. We are fascinated with what happens, especially in national news, the speed in which Content has to be created and delivered is mind-bending, and you are at the epicenter of it, and we want to jump right into that conversation. Tell us a little bit about what you do for CNN. I know you went to Duke, which we won't talk about that. I mean, you know, um, North Carolina, my my family, my in-laws might be a little mad that I interviewed you, not because of CNN, but because of Duke and North Carolina. (laughs) Um, So tell us a little bit about yourself, um, where you're from, and how'd you make it to CNN? Great. Well, um, I grew up in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I went to Duke. And after that, I was really interested in the idea of starting in political journalism. I started my first job at ABC News in Washington at their Washington Bureau. I was there for a couple of years. And then I moved over to CNN to cover the midterm elections in 2014. And that was back at a time when um, politics was not front of mind uh, for most people watching the news. Um, we had a lot of stories about missing planes. We had stories about um, all different kinds of non-political subjects and people just weren't interested in politics. Um, and all of that changed. Um, all that and, changed. <laughs> yes. And in 2015, I moved to Iowa to be what CNN calls a campaign embed. And I covered the 2016 presidential election. And from there, I went and covered the Trump White House. And now I'm 10 days into covering the Biden administration, which has been a completely different experience. And uh, I've been here for all of it. Now, were you a reporter whenever you were a campaign embed? Were you a producer? Were you writing? Like, what were some of your skills and things that you were doing as an embed? Um, that's the great thing about the embed job because it is literally everything. You are hauling a tripod and a camera and a laptop everywhere you go across the country. I think I went to 47 states or something like that. Um, and you are responsible for videoing your candidate, whoever that is, um, kind of providing editorial readout of everything they do to the network um, and being like a human encyclopedia for that candidate um, until they either win or drop out of the race. And um, so for me, that was first, I started in the state of Iowa and I covered all of the Democratic and Republican candidates um, as they were getting ready for the caucuses. And then on caucus night, I went full time with uh, Senator Ted Cruz and I covered Ted Cruz until he eventually dropped out in uh I think it was May of 2015 and then starting or 2016, excuse me. And then starting in 
um, July of 2016, I covered uh, Tim Kaine when he was chosen to be Hillary Clinton's running mate and followed him from there all the way to the Javits Center uh, in November 2016. Fascinating front row seat to so much of American um, conversations. I mean, it's not just culture. It's like what we talk about with so many people. Um, some, some hard conversations, some good conversations, but you have a front row seat to all of it. And Reverb, our team, as we go to events, try to look incredible online. We make them memorable, um, but we know how hard it is to produce really great content at blazing speed. So I think for me, this is really funny because, um, it was a question that came up a lot in my first rounds of job interviews when I was just graduating. And, um, my answer was always, I was an anthropology major. And people are like, what? Like anthropology, What? what's the point? But essentially, I spent four years piling through ethnographies, reading about um, cultures, reading about uh, how different sets of cultural um, systems and learning really and, and doing my own field work and learning how to ask questions, how to observe, and really, I think most importantly, how to synthesize enormous amounts of information into very quick bite-sized summaries. Um, mm-hmm. So it actually, you know, it, it's a funny thing that I say to college students now that are like, well, I majored in sociology or I majored in, you know, psychology or whatever they majored in. It doesn't really matter. But that four years, I think, depending on whatever your focus is, really prepares you to be able to see a vi- you know thirty pages of you know information and con- consolidate it into a really quick paragraph. Um, and that like enormous amounts of reading really prepares mm-hmm. you for that. I think that's one of the hardest things to do is somehow whittle down information to make it clear, to make it plain, to make it simple so that people can understand it. Because if you guys weren't in the business of helping people understand news and information, people would stop watching. If you didn't help people understand it, um, they're just going to tune out, right? Um, Right. Well, and you have to write it too. Like you have to write it like you're having a conversation with, you know, your mom, your sister, your dad, your friend from college, your, you know, neighbor. Um, You know, I have learned in that time to be able to write things in a way that are conversational um, and and easy to understand to someone who might not have a background in, you know, economic projections. But I can say, okay, here's why, you know, the latest jobs report matters to you and to our country. It's fascinating. I'm going to let Will, as we jump into this, I'm going to let Will ask technical questions and I'll probably try to ask more uh, philosophical or, or psychology questions. Um, that's I think we're the left brain, right brain thing going here. Tell us about your day because um, I, I, just the speed in which news changes. And, and I know this podcast will air a little bit later, a week later, but tell us about your day in the sense of news is always changing, but you have to prepare at the beginning, right? You actually have to prepare what to say, even though it's going to change. So how in the world do you start? Tell us what, how do you get your day started and what, is, what does it look like? Right. So I start work a little bit before 6am. I'm not a morning person. So don't ask me for advice on that. <laughs> Haven't quite figured it out yet. Um, but uh, what I do is I write a morning editorial note. And that is kind of our internal CNN guidance for what matters on the White House and Capitol Hill beats. And that kind of provides a framework for um, what are the key storylines of the day? What are the key questions? What are the key themes? Um, and so to do that, I start actually by just 
reading a lot um, and watching things. So um, I always turn on CNN New Day right at six and I see what are their, you know, three or four key headlines and how do they apply to kind of what we're talking about at the White House and on Capitol Hill. Um, And then I move over and I read uh, the Daily Beast cheat sheet, which does a really good job of aggregating some of the top stories. Um, And then from there, I read the Politico playbook. I read Axios. I read Washington Post's Power Up. And then from there, I kind of have a good idea of how I want to structure this. So the note, it's pretty quick to the point. Um, you know, we're removing all of our excess content, but we're really just getting like, here are your three key headlines. So today, for instance, and this obviously will change day to day, um, the COVID relief package um, that is being negotiated right now between the White House and Capitol Hill, um, that along the backdrop of Republicans are having this internal civil war, um, a lot of, you know, this debate on uh, if Marjorie Taylor Greene, the congresswoman, is mm-hmm. uh, you know, openly embraces conspiracy theorists. Is she going to be stripped of her committee assignments? Meanwhile, you have um, kind of an internal revolt against the number three House Republican, Liz Cheney, who is um, you know struggling to keep her power. Um, then the third piece of that is you've got an impeachment. Uh, trial coming up starting next week. Um, and then the fourth piece of that is that the White House is still trying and they're in their first, you know, 10 days or so they're trying to control their message. And the president is um, in the process of doing a lot of uh, executive actions um, meant to kind of enact his agenda as some of his campaign promises. And today that is immigration. And so he's signing a couple of executive orders on that. So those are kind of my organizing ideas. And I go from there, I read um, a couple more stories, kind of see what all of our latest reporting is um, and kind of set the table for my colleagues for here's what we're going to be talking about today. Um, Can I I throw a question in there? Yeah. Can I throw a question in there? How do you decide what stories matter the most? I know we had a pre-conversation and I know you passed the information around, but you're setting the table for, I think, other, for, I think, reporters at the White House and so that they know what they're going to talk about that day, even though they can do their own work in some, some levels. But how do you decide out of probably 50 stories that you read on all these right. platforms? How do you, how do you decide? Well, some of the key themes, I think, keep coming up, right? Like this, you know, a major story is this COVID relief package, and it's a a huge import to people's lives, right? Um, Then, you know, it's also up for debate. Um, You know, I, my, after I finished writing this note, I take about an hour to write it. And my boss calls me sometime between seven and seven fifteen, And we have a pretty spirited debate over <sighs> what's going to lead your note. And so today we had uh, a discussion about whether um, the COVID relief package should go first, or should we do Republican infighting first? And um, mm-hmm. I made my argument, he thought that the Republican infighting should go first. Um, and we, you know, he heard me out, we talked about it. And, um, you know, that's, that that I mean, it's definitely a process of engagement, um, and so you got to be ready to you got to be ready to defend yourself, really, mm-hmm. and why you've done these things back, you know, as early as seven fifteen in the morning. Um, I think you know it, it's look, it's not just me. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. looking at the reporting of all of my colleagues. Yeah, um, I have another colleague, Stephen Collinson, who does these incredible analysis pieces, and he does a really good job, kind of tying everything up with a bow. Um, of all of these storylines and does a story every night that gets released in the morning um, that incorporates all of that. And so sometimes I kind of follow his pattern um, and his thought process. 
Um, you know, I mean, I don't think that there's necessarily a wrong way to do it either. Um, but there are definitely things that are more important and more pressing for the day ahead than, you know, some stories and kind of the argument my boss was making to me today was that COVID relief is kind of a yesterday story. Uh, cause the meeting happened yesterday. There's not another meeting happening today. There's going to be some fallout from it, but it's not really driving the day the way that the Republican infighting is going to continue to play out. Um, so that makes you know, a lot I'm, of sense. Yeah. I'm very open to, you know, talking to him, hearing, you know, constructive feedback and, uh, we get it into shape. In that give and take that you all have, obviously you're trying to determine what's going to be most effective to distribute as you all move forward. My kind of question that I have alongside of that is it almost sounds like you're trying to play games in the stock market where you're trying to guess what's about to happen and do I sell now or what not. So how do you basically try to stay ahead of that curve and make sure that you're checking yourself and saying, is what I'm focusing on right now relevant to when I know it's going to need to go out? Well, I mean, I think these are these are generally speaking very broad themes um, mm -hmm. that a lot of the you know you can say with some certainty based on what's on the president's schedule, what kind of hearings are coming up on the Hill, what is going to happen today that that you know you have a calendar, um, you know these are Tuesday's events, um, you have a pretty good idea of what to expect for the day. Now, I will say that part of why I have this framework is to allow me to kind of easily divert and adjust and rework everything when all of that changes in a split second, when some other kind of news breaks. Um, and what's interesting about that is that that happened all the time in the Trump administration, um, where I would write the note, I would, you know, I try to send it by 730 in the morning. So I, it's a very condensed timeline clock is ticking, gotta, mm -hmm. you know, take my boss's feedback and turn it into something that's readable. And um, then at 740, the president would tweet. <laughs> and it would be on something that I had not planned for, it would be something completely unrelated and derail mm -hmm the entire conversation for the day. And you just have wow. to be ready for that because that's really, I mean, that administration thrived on kind of inserting chaos into the news cycle and we were ready for it. So this is a really great point. I want our listeners to kind of wrap their minds around because we people watch the work we do and they see brands from sports and news and entertainment. They see them tell these stories so quickly. And there's often a debate even in our own team, like how much of it should be planned versus how much of it should be reactive. Like how, how do you mm -hmm. like balance that tension? And you've, I love the fact that you said template or framework, maybe you said framework, but without that framework at the beginning of the day, um, whether you're in news or you're in entertainment, you're in sports, you're probably not setting yourself up for success to be able to adjust to those things in real time. And one of the things that you mentioned in our pre pre call was that challenging times require clear communication with context. And I want that thread to kind of come out through some of the stuff we're going to talk about. But what does that statement mean to you? Um, challenging tire times require clear communication with context. Well, we are in such an unprecedented time right now. Obviously, mm -hmm. we have a global pandemic. We have an economic crisis. We have, you know, a national conversation on racial justice. There's a lot going on. And I think mm -hmm. our viewers and our readers, um, it, it can be easy to feel inundated with all this information. So our job really is to distill that in a way that is clear, that is understandable, 
but that also is providing the context that is necessary to understand these times and mm. to place, you know, what we saw on January 6th in the broader context of what the Trump movement has been for the last four years. Um, you know, for me, what it was like to go to Trump rallies and see uh, QAnon supporters starting in 2018 and trying to at first, you know, what is QAnon? What does that mean? Um, so I think we know that we have to continually evolve um, and adjust our framework every single day. But having a place where you can start your day um, to really know what the themes are going to be and gives you the, you know, kind of sets the table for a successful day. And, um, you know, for me, in addition to that, you know, an, another huge piece of what I do is the editorial aspect of covering mm -hmm. the White House. So Tell us about that. After my note is sent at 7.30, I kind of get myself together really quickly. I run in, I get my COVID test, and I walk in the gates of the White House, and, you know, the real work of the day begins. And that can be any number of things. It can be uh, White House briefings. It can be statements and live events and speeches from the president himself or the vice president. And it can also be appearances um, by top administration officials, whether that's on television or in other live events. Um, so my job is to, um, you know, watch these things as they're coming in and make sure um, with a huge and wonderful team of colleagues that all of the news from those events is being sent internally, but is also being um, that I'm writing it in a way that is ready for broadcast um, for potentially an anchor to read on air or ready to be published online. Um, so, you know, you can't prepare you can prepare too much because you don't sure. know what's going to be said at a briefing. Mm -hmm. But, you know, a lot of the time today, for instance, they added a uh, COVID-19 briefing very last minute. And uh, we had an idea that the news was going to center around um, delivering vaccines to pharmacies. And um, so that you could go get a shot at your local CVS and how that process was about to be started. And so I had some idea of that. And we knew, in theory, that that was going to be announced off the top. So I have an email ready to go um, with kind of the background on that and what it means and kind of why it's important. Because right now we've seen for you know the last several weeks that we are not deploying our vaccines quickly enough. And, mm -hmm. you know, we have a long way to go and really scaling up that operation. You know, if you're under 65, the chances you've gotten a vaccine are low. Mm -hmm. um, so, and obviously our, the urgency now of getting them out uh, in the context of all these new variants and it's just a generally scary time. So kind of, you know, that briefing is starting at 1215, but at 1214, I've got an email ready to go with like the back half of that. Yeah. That's going to be ready. So then you can kind of write through that with, the quotes um, when that's when that happens. And I think that that system sometimes fails me entirely, right? And sometimes it works. Um, you got to be, you know, ready to adapt and uh, evolve based on what they actually say. You can't, you can't hit send on that email until it's happened, until it's been said out loud. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, going from that and really um, at least having something so that you're not starting with blank Outlook email. Yeah. Uh, gives me a little bit of comfort. <laughs> you said the word email, and I'm curious the speed of communication. Like, email can get lost if you have thousands of emails in your inbox. Yeah. Uh, do y'all use 
do you use uh, anything other than email? How do you communicate internally with other White House producers and reporters and uh, photographers and videographers? How are you communicating on the ground? Does CNN have some fancy Slack yeah. type system? How do y'all communicate? Well, we do have Slack um, and we use Slack. Um, some teams use Slack more than other teams. Our team covering uh, health uses Slack a lot. They love, mm -hmm. they love the Slack. So I think anytime we have a COVID briefing or something that where we have to work with them to kind of um, understand what's going on um, and kind of run things by them, we are on Slack. But then our team of producers and uh, White House writers and reporters, we have a text message chain. Um, and so really like, it's very fancy. Um, but you know, in, a, in an hour, long briefing, we've got yeah. a continuous thread of, you know what, I'm going to hop out and get this, which whatever, you know, Jen Psaki just said, I'm going to take that and I'm going to stop listening for two minutes, flesh that out, send it out. Um, and everybody else will keep listening. Um, the problem with that, of course, is that it can, um, it can mean you miss things mm -hmm. uh, that you want to know. So for instance, um, you missed something I heard last, last year. Yeah. Something. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty embarrassing. So I'm sitting in our workspace in the basement of the white house and the president, president then president Trump is at the podium. And he said something, I can't remember what it was that was sort of newsy. And I said, okay, guys, I'm jumping out. This is, I'll take this. And while I was like radio focused, had my headphones in, I missed um, his comments about uh, bleach and injecting bleach and uh, sunlight to cure the virus. Mm. Um, so after the briefing was over, I had somewhere to be. I ran out um, and I get home like an hour later and my phone is just blowing up and everyone's like, did you see that? And like, what are you talking about? Like I was there in the white house. Of course you saw it in the building. Like, what are you like? What? I'm not injecting bleach. Like, is this like some joke? Um, but no, he really said that. Um, but it took me a couple hours to realize that that had happened. Gosh, that's, uh, and so what do you, how do you recover out of that moment? Do you do other people take over and report it? And, and like, what happens in that moment? Yeah. So what, when I was writing, whatever it was that I was writing, someone else was, you know, I have four other great teammates that are listening and someone said, Oh, I'm going to get the thing about bleach. I didn't realize and then sent it out. But I just, I was, it was at the very end of the briefing and I just didn't realize that that's what was the content of that email. Um, and then it Gosh. became the story we talked about for objectively months. We're still talking about it. Yeah. Um, and really kind of, unexpectedly a defining moment for that presidency and the pandemic response actually uh i don't think we would have expected but I, I missed it what's interesting about that though is like it kind of goes to show that you have to have a team in order to cover something like that yeah because ultimately you can't juggle that many balls and catch them every time you're gonna have to yeah. be comfortable with the fact that by juggling that many different balls at once they're gonna drop at some point so you have right. to almost always have a team that's working with you in order to make sure one of those balls gets mm -hmm. picked up when it does get dropped. Right. And I am extremely grateful for that team of people who do exactly what I do. And we are in this kind of constant wheel of having each other's backs. And, and the other piece of that, too, is that, um, you know, at CNN and, and this this ranges from things like calling an election for a candidate all the way to, you know, what I do is that there's this commitment to being right and not first. And obviously, mm. like, I'm not racing against anyone to be first to send out some news of what Jen Psaki just said at the briefing on Alexei Navalny. But when I am writing what she said about Alexei Navalny, I want to make sure that 
it, A, I'm quoting her accurately, B, mm-hmm. that I'm providing the right amount of context on what she said and what it means in this moment. So you really do need to stop, take a step back, reread what you've said, take your time. And, and fortunately, you know, in addition to this team of colleagues that I have um, helping me with these alerts, I also have a team of editors and supervisors mm-hmm. that also always have my back and nothing I send out gets put online or read on the air without oversight, which is for me something I'm very grateful for. So for me typing in the keyboard to basically it, it making its way out into the world, obviously, like you said, your goal is not to be first, but you do want to have relevance. And obviously the earlier that you get your message right. out, the more relevance it has, more traction it's going to pick up. So there's this push and pull as you're already talking about from relevance, but then also truth and accuracy. What's the give and take with you and your editor? What's that process look like so that you're ensuring speed and efficiency, but mm-hmm. also most importantly, making sure that there's you know effectiveness, there's clarity and there's accuracy? I mean, I think it's a it's a great question because I can't say I've totally figured it out. I mean, I think that we the priority is accuracy, right? but and and to to a certain extent, i'm not I'm not talking about, you know, a matter of hours, I'm talking about a matter of minutes mm-hmm, um, yeah. to really make sure that what I have is right. and and it's you know, it's just so much easier to catch where you're wrong and correct the first time than it is to issue a correction, you know? Um, and I hate being wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Don't we all? Yeah. There's literally nothing worse than, you know, getting a call or an email from someone and, you know, like, obviously I'm human. Mm -hmm. We all make mistakes, but, Mm -hmm. um, and you know, having to then call your editor and say, we've got to fix this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's why it's really important just to, you know, before I hit send, take a step back. This is not, you know, I'm not writing a novel. This is, you know, mm-hmm. 500 words or less. And for the longer stories, obviously, there's a lot more oversight. And, you know, some of the more enterprise um, and reporting stories that I do require a lot more time. And sometimes, yeah, you're going to get beat on a story. And um, it's too bad, but you'd rather, I'd rather be beat than be wrong. Yeah. I have a workflow question that William was maybe leaning into there. So we see on our side, whether it's on the the push notification on the phone or the the website or uh, what we see on TV or maybe what we see on Twitter, like we see the, the, the outbound communication from news organizations like CNN. But what about, what does it look like from the, the newsworthy moment and then the five minutes in between before it lands on a push notification or a, uh, a live report, um, breaking news. Like what, what does it look like from your fingertips to okay. how does it go up? To a push notification. Yes. Um, okay. So for that, let's say, um, let me think of an example from today. Mm-hmm. Let's say the example about, uh, pharmacies and mm-hmm. they're going to deliver vaccines to pharmacies, yep. um, directly, you know, eliminating this middleman of the States. Um, so he says this, uh, the COVID coordinator, Jeff Science, in the briefing, it's a virtual Zoom briefing. I'm watching the briefing. Um, I'm in our Slack channel and I say, okay, I'm hopping out. I type, 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 type. I use um, Otter as a transcription service, mm-hmm. um, which is a great app that I recommend to anyone who ever needs to have a live transcript. But I go back in my Otter and I listen because I always want to double check my quotes, make sure my quotes mm-hmm. are right. Um, I'll play it back. 
and I typed in my quotes, kind of rounded out the context that I had sort of already pre-written, um, but some of it didn't make sense anymore. So I delete some of that, add in some extra stuff. Um, let's say if he talked for 30 seconds, it took me probably, probably five full minutes to write what the copy that I wanted okay. to have prepared. Mm-hmm. Um, then I send that around internally. Um, if that, let's say is going to get, it was added to an existing story. Um, the editor picks it up. She puts it into our editing system and she edits it and then she sends it and it gets a second round of edits. Um, and from there, it gets published online. The second editor hits publish. And then there's another team that is responsible for all of our social media alerts. And I think they have the most incredible power. Um, it's really <laughs> exciting um, because they decide, okay, mm-hmm. this is worthy of an alert or not. Mm-hmm. And they write, you know, whatever, I think they have 150 characters to get on mm-hmm. your phone and yep. they can do that very quickly once something is published. As you're talking, I got a, I have, I subscribe. I have a, I got a, I got a notification from CNN about uh, Senate confirms Alejandro Mayorkas as Homeland Security oh. Secretary. He is the first Latino in immigrant service. Oh, I was, I was going to be like, whoa. Um, so no, that, 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 it is here. fascinating because it's speed. It's so fast. It has, it has to go through these editorial accuracy processes. Um, yeah. And it just, it's, it's really fascinating. Um, right. Well, and for something like that, for instance, like we know that the vote is happening today. We knew that it was happening roughly at this time. Um, and, you know, if, if you're writing that story, you have all the background of, right. you know, who is he, what's he going to do, what challenges is he facing and that, you know, and then you just at the top, you get, he was confirmed with a vote of whatever to whatever, and that's it. Um, so it goes pretty quickly once, once that. Yeah. It, it sounds like some, some of these stories There's, are a little easier than others. Yeah. You can do some preparation. Sometimes yeah. you're uh, just flying by the seat of your pants and that's okay. That's what we learned in the Trump administration just to go with the flow. <laughs> it sounds like your real-time skills were developed pretty strongly in the Trump administration. Um, yeah. Speaking of team, you talked about team. Um, we have a team of 10. I know what it takes just to pull off this podcast. It's like we all have to work together in so many ways and carry each other. You have a team. Uh, talk a little more about the team because I know you also besides writing and the editorial and all that stuff, I know you also go get people lunch sometimes. Um, <laughs> yeah. Tell me about the team, like how many people you're working with and you also coordinate them. I want to know about that. I think our, our listeners will be fascinated about how, how that team interacts on the White House property. Yeah. So, well, everything has changed now um, due to coronavirus and our um, practices there. So um, we are keeping a really tight footprint. And the way um, that we decide that is that the White House has allocated eight tests per network per day. Um, So of those eight people um, that are physically on campus, we have a morning television correspondent, an afternoon and evening television correspondent. Then we have me, the producer. um, And then we have a group of photojournalists and engineers. Um, so yes, a piece of my job is making sure that everybody's fed and that is really important and everyone's a critic and that's okay. (laughs) Um, but, um, but, but also I have a whole team of people at our working at our bureau that have kept coming in through all of this to keep the trains running, um, Mm -hmm. that I'm coordinating with who are working, uh, for our shows, who are communicating with our control rooms, who are, communicating. So my job really is to be the traffic cop between the shows, the correspondence, 
and the crews and to make sure that everybody knows where they need to be, what they're talking about and when. Um, so there's that piece of it. I also have, you know, we have, I have a manager, I have a team of other producers. Uh, we have an AM shift, which I'm on, and we have a PM shift. And then we have someone during the day. We also have people that are responsible for cutting packages. We have two reporters that are wonderful that are assigned to us working for digital, um, who write for cnnpolitics.com. Um, and then we have this, uh, great, really terrific, uh, team of correspondents. Um, and, the ones who are not physically at the White House, uh, we have a second White House live shot location that is outside the White House. And then, you know, we also have folks working from home. Um, so we've all had to really adapt. I mean, in, in normal times, our, uh, we call it the booth. It is in the basement under the briefing room. Um, it is about a 10 by 10 room, maybe not, not even that big. And we usually fit six people in there. Um, now we have two at the most um, mm -hmm. and we're all masked and, distanced. Um, so it's, it's really changed a lot during the pandemic. And hopefully, I mean, I, I used to complain about it, but now I just really miss being squished in there with so many colleagues. <laughs> we had a really nice time. <laughs> the world is going to, we're going to, we're going to come back to that one day where we're all wanting to be super close to each other. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if I really impact. <laughs> How do you keep all those details and logistics straight? Like, are you just running around with notepads full of hand scribbled notes that you're taking on the go and this person Great needs question. to do that? Or do you guys have some sort of like a management system built into that where you guys are assigning each other tasks and things? Yeah, we do have we do have some internal systems, um, one for um, keeping track of all of our photojournalist assignments. We also have... Um, you know, we have an internal video system so I can watch any feed that's coming in, um, whether I'm at the bureau or not, um, even if I'm working from home, which has made the work from home process just significantly smoother, I think, than I ever would have thought. And also when you're in the field, um, I can, you know, I can do the same work, whether I'm, you know, sitting in my living room, whether I'm sitting in the White House booth or if I'm sitting in a parking lot before a Trump rally. Um, so we have we do have kind of systems in place. I mean, I won't say that I am um, that I've totally figured out how to organize all that information, <laughs> but uh, I have a lot of Outlook contacts. I have a lot of um, notes on my phone. I have a lot of Otter recordings um, that I can't say are super organized. Um, I thought maybe I would I would keep them more organized in this uh, administration, but I have yet to do that. So. It sounds like there's just like a lot of craziness going on, which is oftentimes, of course, how the real time reaction goes. Mm -hmm. And it's something that you're just really you're keeping up with and you're continuing to keep the facilitation going, which is interesting. It's cool, crazy to me that like you're now able to utilize this system where you can watch any live incoming feed from anywhere using your phone or whatever as you're on the go versus what that had to have looked like pre that system. Because really, that yeah. seems to like you're saying it opens you up to where you're not really having to be limited to being in a physical location in order to stay on top of your workflow, which is super interesting. Yeah. And I mean, in my, I'm, I'm really lucky just because in my professional lifetime, all of that technology has generally existed. I think that there are certain things that make it easier to do my job. Like um, I have uh, AT&T TV now on my phone um, and I use that um, if, if, Sometimes I'm watching like during the Trump administration, Larry Kudlow is appearing on Fox business and I've got to leave the basement of the White House to go upstairs to maybe mm -hmm. ask him a question afterward. I can keep watching it. Mm -hmm. um, so I know what he said. So I know what to ask him. Um, and, like that kind of technology didn't didn't exist, you know, 
too too long ago. Um, but you know, I do think that as a as a news organization, and I think all news organizations, we've been really lucky that if we were going to survive a pandemic in our lifetime where we would have to make this transition to a lot of us going from working in the field to working at home, we have the technology and we were pretty much prepared to do that. I mean, you know, install a couple of uh, in-home live shot locations and you're good to go kind of mm-hmm. get everybody to adjust to uh, zoom. So far, my biggest takeaways have been, I'm not that far away from being uh well, not that you're disorganized in any stretch of the imagination, but I'm not as, I don't feel as lonely on an island. Um, I, list, I watch yeah. at TV now, so that's awesome. And I, I have notes all over my phone. Um, uh, so to know that someone at the White House helping bring us the most important information from probably in the entire world is also doing it as best as she can do. <laughs> Um, that's, I mean, that's all you can do, right? I mean, I'm just a regular person, (laughs) you know, I don't have any kind of special, special technology that isn't just available to everyone else. So we're just making the best of it right now. A personal question I kind of have to follow up on all that is you have to basically always be on, you're always consuming, you're always listening. So how, how do you survive with that? And, And where's your areas and segments where you can kind of turn off and disconnect. Cause I imagine having to mm-hmm. always be locked in and zoned in. And if you stick headphones in for five minutes, you might miss something super important. It means <laughs> yeah. your brain's always firing. You're always going. Yeah. And it means you're kind of always hyper concerned with making sure you don't miss something. So is it mm-hmm. easy for you to kind of shut that off at the end of the day? When do you get to shut that off at the end of the day? And how do you disconnect with all that? Mm-hmm. Well, it's a, it's a good question. And it's something that I, um, that I'm working on all the time. But I think that, um, you know, technically I'm on a morning shift. And so in theory, my day starts at six and it ends around one. Um, When we were all physically working in our booth, I had to leave because there was not a seat for me. Um, So that was a really good, like, you got to go home. And whether you work from home, you continue to make calls, you continue to do things, that's on you, but you can't can't be here anymore. with the pandemic, I think it's made that balance. And I think for everybody in any industry, a lot harder um, Mm -hmm. to really turn off. So um, generally speaking, I will turn off around late afternoon, early evening, whenever there's kind of a lid, or it seems like, um, it seems like things are quieting down. And I also have a PM shift person and his job is to kind of pick up for me and, um, and, and for all of us and to track those things. Um, and he comes on at one. And so we, we now have kind of figured out a system where we overlap for a couple of hours. while um, there's a lot of stuff going on just to kind of give each other some support. And, um, and then I say, okay, I'm logging off and whether I actually log off or not is a bit more of a negotiation with myself. (laughs) Um, but you know, I think, I have some dedicated time away from my phone. That is really important. Um, Try to work out, try to spend time with friends and family and my boyfriend and just try to balance it all. Um, But I can't say, you know, if I, if I had found the the magic, uh, you know, balance, I would, I would tell you. (laughs) Again, once again, like, I feel like we're the same person. We're all in the same boat. We're all in the same boat. Everything that you do and the fact that, What's super interesting to me is that it is so normal, which is kind of the thing that we keep coming yeah, back I love to, which it. is honestly super intriguing 
because mm-hmm. it seems so high level, high produced, which it is. It's done with insane excellence, but it's done with the same tools as almost everyone else is using. And it's mm-hmm. done in, in similar fashion. Like it's just true, honest work that you guys are just all sorting out. You're communicating together. You're moving as a team unit, which I find personally really interesting. Yeah. I mean, that the, the team aspect of it, I think, is really, I, I would be lost without the five or six folks that kind of keep me on that, uh, that wheel of alerts and, um, and also provide like, it's funny because in, in pandemic times, you don't have that water cooler talk. You don't have, you know, so, Mm -hmm. so in that text thread, we also have, so what's going on with everybody's lives? Like, how is everyone doing? Is everyone Mm -hmm. okay? Or like, do you guys hear that weird thing that happened this morning on, you know, whatever. Um, so that's been kind of like a nice source of support to have all this like virtual camaraderie that I don't think I would have gotten otherwise. Okay. Well, Betsy, fascinating conversation. I know may, hopefully not just for us who love news and politics and all the science and the psychology behind media and, and consumption media, but thank you for giving us a peek into the, the story and like giving us access to what you do uh, right on the White House lawns. Right on the, right, I mean, you even took us home. You told us what you did uh, first thing in the morning. You write to prepare yourself and prepare your team for the day. And, and so it's challenging, right? It's so challenging. Is there anything else that in parting you might share with us about how hard it is or an encouragement You've encouraged me by saying, oh, yeah. hey, we're normal. We're normal. So what would you say to people who are trying to tell great stories quickly? Yeah, I mean, I think that this is important, not just for journalists, not just for people in the communications industry, but for anyone trying to communicate with anyone else. Um, it's so important to be clear, be concise, get your mm-hmm. message out and have kind of a sharp frame. And and then after your sharp frame to delve into a little bit of context about you know, why what you're saying is important and why it matters. Um, and that, you know, it's not just applicable to me. It's for, it's helpful for anyone. And it's something that I think I am still working at every single day. I mean, my note is not perfect every single morning and Mm -hmm. every, every single piece of this is a work in progress for me. And I think we're all doing our best. We're all just trying to, um, do everything as quickly, as efficiently, and most importantly, as accurately as we can in any industry. Um, and we're just kind of trying to make sense of these um, bizarre, unpredictable, uh, challenging, and dangerous time that we're living yeah. in. Yeah, it's 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 refreshing to hear from someone inside. I I will say this, and I'll wrap the wrap this podcast. I consume four or five different news platforms a day, CNN being one of them. Um, I spend a broad amount of time in four or five platforms. And CNN, um, obviously, especially major cable news, uh, different types of uh, outlets, they have perceptions from different parts of the political divide. And I want to say that talking to you humanizes the good work that you do. It humanizes the hard work that you do. And it all there's, there's so many layers of this that just I wish I hope everybody even the people that don't like CNN will watch this and listen to this yeah. and go you know I could be Betsy I see myself in Betsy uh it's so freaking incredible and refreshing to hear someone on the ground so I speak for myself I speak for Will I speak for our team and uh we're grateful for you coming on today thanks Betsy thank, thank you, so you so much, much. Thank you so much for joining us this week on Reverb Roundtable. 
This week's conversation was both inspiring and eye-opening, and we hope that you learned something that you can take into your own communication and events. We know that many of you are listening to this podcast while driving to work or in between meetings. So instead of you having to figure out how to take notes while you drive, please don't. We are going to provide show notes for every single episode. All you need to do is go to rvrb.cc forward slash podcast and subscribe to our email list. And we'll make sure that those notes are in your inbox every single week. We also occasionally include free resources in those show notes. So you are definitely going to want to get in on that. Again, that is rvrb.cc forward slash podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss our next episode and we'll see you next week.